Hey everybody, it's Nick, and real quick, if you're listening to this episode on Tuesday, November 10th, the day it comes out, and you live in New York City, then you should go down to the Hi-Fi Bar in the East Village, it's 169 Avenue A, to hang out with other Weather Smoke listeners and Brett himself. They're all going to be there. It starts at 6.30 to the end of the night. We'd love to see you. And if you are in Chicago on Thursday, November 12th, you should go to Woodhaven, which is at 712 North Clark Street, River North, and hang out with Brett and I. We're both going to be there at 6 o'clock on Thursday, November 12th, Chicago meetup, where there's smoke. That's it. Let's get on with the show. When people ask me, say, how do you, you know, how do you make it in show business or whatever? And what I always tell them, I've said it many years, and nobody ever takes note of it because it's not the answer they wanted to hear. What they want to hear is, here's how you get an agent, here's how you write a script, here's how you do this, here's it. But I always say, be so good they can't ignore you. And I just think that if somebody's thinking, how can I be really good, people are going to come to you. That is actor and comedian Steve Martin on a 2007 episode of The Charlie Rose Show talking about his advice for aspiring performers. And as Steve alludes to when he says in show business or whatever, that is not just advice for aspiring performers. It is advice for anyone looking to make it. Whether that be in the creative arts or any industry, whether you are pursuing a career path within a field or building your own business, whether the endeavor you are pursuing is personal or professional. We all have dreams, aspirations, goals, visions, desires, things that we want to make happen. But how do we do it? How do we make it? Where do we focus first? In 2014, Nick and I set out to launch Where There's Smoke with high standards. We wanted to make a show as good as This American Life, as good as Radiolab. And so for us, from day one, quality came first. As a matter of fact, in the words of the Sisters of Mercy, it came first and last and always. And throughout our run, I've said that our primary focus is to do good work. Now this idea is far from unique to us, and I likely phrase it that way, do good work, because I have heard so many artists do so over the years. Tracy Ullman said, I just want to do good work. Indian TV actor Ram Kapoor, when you do good work, people will notice you. Ice Cube stated, don't worry about being a star, worry about doing good work. Mel Brooks once said, immortality is a byproduct of good work. And in 1999, Jon Stewart said, you just have to keep trying to do good work and hope that it leads to more good work. Heck, even David Cassidy proclaimed, it's not about the fame and the money, because if you do good work, all that stuff comes. I I mean... Case in point, right? I'm a friend that I'm not sure of. I love there is no cure for. So again, you have dreams, aspirations, goals, visions, desires. How do you make them happen? How do you make it? Well, it's simple. You be so good, they can't ignore you. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we're talking about quality. How do we make good stuff? We also speak with the Blacklist creator and podcast host, Franklin Leonard, about ways to check if the stuff that we're creating is any good. 
All that plus author John Gordon, WTS Digs, shoutouts, and all kinds of stuff. My name is Nick Jaworski. His name is Brett Gaida. Let's start the show. Whiplash, The Imitation Game, American Sniper, Chronicle, Juno, Horrible Bosses, 500 Days of Summer, Superbad, Selma, The Way Back, Adventureland, Up in the Air, Two Guns, Safe House, The Hunger Games, The Judge, Crazy, Stupid, Love. As varied as all these films are, they all share something in common. At some point, they appeared on the blacklist. First published anonymously in 2005, The Blacklist is an annual collection of the most liked, unproduced screenplays in Hollywood. I had a chance to talk to the list's creator, Franklin Leonard, about how it all started. When I first started the list, it was really just very selfishly, I was trying to find some good scripts to read on on, on holiday. Um, I knew that I was going to be spending a lot of time reading screenplays while I was traveling. Um, I wanted them to not be terrible, and so I just took a survey of my peers and said, send me a list of your best stuff, and this will help me find the best stuff. I think, you know, when I think about it sort of post-facto now, no, I think the list is really just, it is what it is, which is this is a list of the things that people like most over the course of the year that haven't been made yet. According to its website, since its inception, over 225 blacklist screenplays have been made as feature films. Those films have earned over $19 billion in worldwide box office, have been nominated for 171 Academy Awards, and have won 35 Academy Awards, including Best Picture for Slumdog Millionaire, The King's Speech in Argo, and seven of the last 12 screenwriting Oscars. So I think it's safe to say that in some ways, The Blacklist is a curator of quality for screenplays. And it has grown beyond the list to become an organization and community that celebrates great writing via a two-sided marketplace for screenplays and a content company that puts on live table reads of the best scripts they find. And they also launched a podcast called The Blacklist Table Reads that does the same. How much time do I have left? Time to go by the Herald? Gus starts the car and puts it into gear. Exterior street, night. The side of the car as it pulls away reads, Automotive Car Service. Franklin Leonard did a talk at the Podcast Movement Conference earlier this year and spoke to the importance of quality. Afterward, he and I talked more about the subject and the desire for people to try and figure out what will sell, what will make it. In a slight spin on a quote from Pixar's John Lasseter, who said, quality is the best business plan, Franklin stated that he believes that quality is commercial. I asked him what he meant by that. Fundamentally, the things that end up being successful long run are the things that are good, are the things that make people leave the theater and say, oh my God, you have to see this. You know, I I think that if you think about it in the context of what makes people go to a movie theater, it's not that there are vampires or zombies or anything in it. It's that it's a good version of a vampire movie or a zombie movie. Like, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario when someone leaves a movie theater and calls their friend or tweets and says, you have to see this movie, vampires or you have to see this movie zombies what they're saying is is you have to see this movie it's so good right um and i think that that's that is what makes us go see something is is our belief that it's either it's going to be good or that or that it is good and so this idea that anything you know that it doesn't matter whether it's good or not um and it's really about you know 
special effects or anything, anything else, it, I, I just think is terribly misguided. As Steve Martin said at the top of the show, when it comes to creating success, to making it, people don't want to hear the simple advice he has to give. But I always say, be so good they can't ignore you. We could hypothesize that it is because they don't want to do the work. And for some, that's probably true. But I think for many, it's that they want something more concrete. Not easier necessarily, just simpler. Meaning, we'll do this, and then this, then do this, and then this. You know, a roadmap, a step-by-step -step guide that'll take them from where they are to where they want to go. A place that they think you already are. And I've experienced this, and I'm sure many of you have too. You attain a level of success in something, people think you've sort of made it, and they want you to tell them how to do it. Well, cool, I mean, I, I can respect that. Just know that the answer, at least for us and for so many others that we respect, have followed and learned from, remains do good work. Now, Brent, I feel like we should point out something here about quality and how it intersects with expression. Obviously, there are a ton of great reasons to just sit down at your desk, piano, computer, easel, whatever your mode of creativity, and just express yourself. That has real value, and people should find as many opportunities to flex those expressive muscles as they can. However, that's not quite what this episode is talking about, right? Correct, Nick. I mean, we're talking about situations where we are looking to break into a particular profession, get that promotion, or create a successful product. Something that requires you to actively compete for the very limited attention from both gatekeepers, people like bosses, record labels, etc., and audiences. Where understanding what quality is in that space and being able to create it is pivotal to your success. To help with that, perhaps we can break this do-good-work idea down, you know, just a little bit. Let's split it up into two parts, habits and structure. Welcome to How to Make It, Secrets to a Quality Product, an audio production by Where There's Smoke. Remember to advance the slides when you hear this tone. Are you ready? Let's begin. Part one, quality is not an act. It is a habit. Unlike shit, which apparently just happens, quality is never an accident, as U.S. Marine William A. Foster said. It is always the result of high intention, sincere effort, intelligent direction, and skillful execution. It was Aristotle who said, quality is not an act, it is a habit. And a habit is not something you develop overnight. It's a behavior that you ingrain over time, months, years, decades. You must work on your craft. You must earn your stripes. It's like bamboo. Unlike other trees, which grow steadily over a period of years, individual bamboo culms emerge from the ground at their full diameter and grow to their full height in one to four months. Now, let me say that again in a different way. They emerge fully cooked, of quality, mature, they go to number one with a bullet. Shoots of certain species of bamboo have been clocked growing close to a meter, three feet within a 24-hour period, at a rate of almost four centimeters or 1.5 inches an hour. I mean, that is fast, man. <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. 
I mean, that really got out of hand fast. But what you must also understand about bamboo is that this emergence is not in the first year of their life. For anywhere from two to four years, bamboo is developing underground. It is becoming strong, spreading its roots, creating a foundation so that it has the means to attain and support that growth. You see, while some ask, why aren't I famous yet? Why haven't I made it? How come I haven't been promoted? When is my ship going to come in? Others keep working. While some look for the shortcut, a way to make it easier, or they put on a show, those committed to making it happen know that they must work on their craft. They must put in the time, often underground, so that they can be that 10-year overnight success. They must be the bamboo. You know, baby, this bamboo is longer, more flexible, and very much alive. And when your flashy routines cannot keep up with the speed and the elusiveness of this thing here, all I can say is you're going to be in deep trouble. Author and speaker John Gordon's most recent book is called The Carpenter. It is a story about building your life and career, and in it John uses the phrases, I am a craftsman, and I am a craftswoman. I spoke to John recently, and I asked him what these terms meant to him. The idea of being a craftsman and a craftswoman means that you approach your work in such a way that it's about the process, not the outcome, knowing that it takes years to master your craft, that there's no such thing as an overnight success. So it's the idea that every day you show up and you do the work with a desire to get better. You strive for perfection, knowing that you're likely not going to obtain it. You'll never really obtain it, but you still strive for it because it's about the craft. It's about getting better. It's about improving. It's about being an artist in your work. And so many just want fame. They want instantaneous success. But anything great takes time to build, anything worthwhile. So you have to really put your heart and soul into your work. Robert Greene also talks of craftsmen and craftswomen in his 2012 book, Mastery. The book is the culmination of years of research on the lives of great historical figures such as Albert Einstein, Mozart, and Henry Ford, as well as contemporary leaders such as Y Combinator co-founder Paul Graham and activist Temple Grandin. Green outlines how all of these individuals went through a period of learning, growth, and practice that he calls the apprentice phase. Here is Brian Johnson of Philosopher's Notes speaking to this concept. The key idea we want to remember here is the apprentice phase isn't about trying to impress people. It's about being humble and doing the work to learn and master ourselves. It's about transformation. As da Vinci says, one can have no smaller or greater mastery than mastery of oneself. And so our journey to doing good work is definitely a journey of self-development. However, it is also a journey of understanding the worlds we have now entered. As Green says in his book, you enter a career as an outsider. You are naive and full of misconceptions about this new world. Your head is full of dreams and fantasies about the future. Your knowledge of the world is subjective based on emotions, insecurities, and limited experience. But slowly, you will ground yourself in reality, in the objective world represented by the knowledge and skills that make people successful in it. I love that. And again, we've all been there. 
entering an unknown with all kinds of ideas of what is true, often leading us to be overconfident or in other cases, overfearful. And in all these ideas, we are missing what's right in front of us. And what's right in front of us is the real world. This is the true story. True story. Of seven strangers <laughs> picked to live in a loft. No, Nick, obviously not that real world. And it is in this phase that I believe we start to identify what quality really is in whatever market we are in. Because quality is a subjective concept. It is, as the dictionary states, the standard of something as measured against other things of a similar kind. Computer scientist Gerald Weinberg spoke of quality not as an attribute of something, but as a relationship between the person and the thing. His definition, quality, is value to some person or persons. And so to do good work, to create quality in any industry or endeavor, we must spend enough time in that world to understand what quality looks like there. And we must know that to succeed, it is not enough to just match the quality. We must now exceed it. Going back to my conversation with the blacklist Franklin Leonard, I asked him, what is the most powerful takeaway you would give people around this idea of creating quality and making it? Fundamentally, the most important thing to remember is, is that quality, and I go back to this idea that good enough is not good enough. You know, on the screen, in the screenwriting world, uh, you know, there are fewer people who get their first uh, produced feature credit in a given year than they are that are drafted into most of the major professional sports leagues. Uh, there are fewer screenwriters who get their first movie made in a given year um, than get inducted into the Navy SEALs. We all know how hard those people have to work and how uh, exceptional vis-a-vis -vis their peers those people have to be. But somehow in, in the art world, uh, in the screenwriting world, in any number of other worlds, people think, well, uh, as long as this is better than the, the worst movie that came out last weekend, that should be enough to break me in. And it's not. Those people are already in. And if you're going to break in, you need to be truly exceptional. So I think the biggest thing I'd say is, is really, really, really work on your craft and make sure that you can walk into any room confidently and look around at a thousand people who are also doing it and say, my stuff is better than everyone here. Now, this is not about whether your stuff is better or not. Obviously, that is subjective. But to say that this feeling, this kind of confidence, only comes with putting in the time to work on your craft. Not just wanting something, but being willing to do whatever it takes to get it. Part two, where we hit our heads against the wall. Becoming exceptional, mastering something, will not be easy. As a matter of fact, it will be a fight. Michelangelo once said, if people knew how hard I worked to get my mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful at all. But what if all those obstacles we face, the systems, the people, the timelines, the limitations, what if they are not in fact the things in the way, but they are the way? Actually, Brett, that's a very good point. Oftentimes when I'm trying to be creative, having an external structure placed on top of my work can be simultaneously restricting and liberating. Not being handcuffed to a specific structure or format or timeline, that really frees me up to be more creative. But that also means that I'm free to make any choice I want, 
and that can be a bit debilitating. One of my favorite TV shows ever is a little sitcom called Community. Over its six seasons, the show moved from a smart, heartwarming show about seven strangers at a community college and turned into a highly meta show that touched on the very idea of what a TV show is or should be. Needless to say, Community's network, NBC, didn't always love this. They were looking for a show to compete opposite the Big Bang Theory, something easy and accessible. But Community's creator and showrunner, Dan Harmon, constantly fought to retain control of his creation. So eventually, the show was canceled by NBC, and at the last moment, picked up by Yahoo of all places. You tried to destroy us. But you only made us more awesome! No! I'm legit jealous! And with the change to Yahoo, Dan found himself in a scenario quite different from what he was used to at NBC. He was given almost no restrictions, and there was no real intervention from the network. He got exactly what he wanted. Complete freedom. And it, it, it may have impacted his creative process. Yahoo was so supportive that, that, that I completely self-destructed season six. I mean, I had nobody left. I had no bad guys left. Yahoo <laughs> was like Daddy Warbucks just picking Annie up at the orphanage, and, except in my version, Annie just like starts saying, maybe the sun won't come out tomorrow and, 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 and starts taking Ritalin in her office. Um, the, the so I guess this might be a case of careful what you wish for, because as Sondheim says in Into the Woods, Wishes come true, not free. Great example, Nick. I mean, that resistance he had at NBC, while it may have seemed like the bane of his existence at the time, once removed, he realized that fight fueled his creativity. And as I think about this, it begins to make sense to me, not only with Dan, but with the creative process in general of anything. You know, from creative arts to companies to relationships, the constraints give us something to push against. And in that, they allow there to be a force. You know, it's Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Forces always occur in pairs. They can only occur in pairs. When one body pushes against another, the second body pushes back just as hard. As Jim Lucas wrote in Live Science, you cannot touch without being touched. Oh, that's some good sciencing, Brett. I'm impressed. And actually, Nick, I think this is what's been going on with our show week after week. Remember back in August when we started our break and we said this? And as for work, well, Nick and I have plenty. We will be making new episodes so that we can get a few episodes ahead and release some of the stress and time pressures that we fear could have started affecting the quality of the shows. Then we had over two months to get the show rolling, to get a few episodes in the can and relaunch with a more relaxed attitude. But that's not what happened. Instead, as we talked about in the Procrastination episode, we found ourselves writing and editing the show in the last few days before our season premiere, just like before. Exactly. And what you and I came to realize is that we do our best work under pressure. As those who heard our process show know, we create this show every week in real time. From research, to scripting, to editing, to the final product in basically six days. Isn't that a lot of pressure for you? Pressure makes diamonds. In trying to change the way we do things for season two of Where There's Smoke, 
we discovered what Dan Harmon was lamenting about after season six of Community. We need the resistance. We work better under time frames. Putting shows in the can, while it sounds nice, it just isn't what we do. We operate best creating shows week to week in six days with little room for error. Yeah, and we learn to embrace it because we know we're not alone in this. SNL writes a new show every week, and South Park, an animated show, produces a new episode in just six days. And that realization for us was huge because what came with that was a shift in attitude, an appreciation for the pressure. And as opposed to seeing the time frame as an enemy, we now see it as an ally. To be clear, it is still an obstacle. It's just an obstacle we want. And some weeks, man, it's crazy. I mean, some weeks we are finishing the show the very morning it releases. Um, <laughs> some weeks it's to the very minute. <laughs> yeah. What time is it? Hey, just wanted to pop in here while I'm editing and let you know that it is currently about 2 a.m. Central Time, and the show goes live in two hours. So, there you go. And so you need to discover for yourself what works for you and what doesn't in building a structure around your quality process. And when you find it, soak in it. Create forces around you that allow you to push back, grow, and create. As Franklin Leonard said, good enough isn't good enough. You must be exceptional. Now that's a high bar, but here's the thing. Set the bar there and you greatly increase your chances of success. And in many cases, in many industries, that bar is the entry point. So you have to be working towards being the best, knowing that it will probably take time. And if you find success sooner rather than later, well, hey, that's gravy. All you got to do is make it out of here. And it's all gravy. Every day, the rest of your life, gravy. While Franklin used the word exceptional, I'll throw out another one. Astonish meaning to surprise or impress someone greatly, to amaze them. It comes from the Latin attenere, meaning to strike with lightning. I mean, what if that was the bar? For people to be astonished by your work, to feel a bolt of electricity when experiencing your creation. Now, while being struck by lightning may seem rare, I mean, the odds of becoming a lightning victim in the USA in any one year is one in 700,000. It becomes less rare when you extend the time period. In fact, in a lifetime, your chances of being struck by lightning are one in 3,000. I mean, those are pretty good odds. I mean, you know, if we're still in the metaphor of a lightning strike as you making it in your chosen endeavor, but if we're actually talking about getting struck by lightning, one in 3,000? Oh my gosh, that's pretty high. I'm suddenly reconsidering my love of walking in the rain. Um, but but I, I digress. The point is this. Making it is a long game. The road to quality is long and winding and full of obstacles, many of which you need. Before you can be a master at something, you must first be an apprentice. Observe, learn, practice, execute, repeat. Epilogue, where we take a step back.
Okay, so let's say you took both parts of this episode to heart. You put in the work, you've recognized what processes work best for you, but there's still a larger question that we want to revisit quickly. I mean, what is quality? How do we know if we've reached quality status? Well, as we said earlier in the episode, quality is subjective. We all know this. We talked about this idea back in our episode on taste. However, when we're trying to create something to share with others, perhaps we can look into whether or not what you're creating is effective in saying what it is you want to say, that it resonates with others. Franklin Leonard says that people's desire to share something might point to its quality. If people are sharing it, that's a pretty good indication that it's great. Because I've always believed, and I think I've, I've seen evidence that the best indicator of the quality of something is the extent to which people want to introduce it to people that they know and care about. You know, we, I think we have a natural desire as human beings to share good information. Uh, I, I suspect that it's, it's sort of hardwired from the days of like, hey, I went this way and I found a bunch of food. Uh, now it's, hey, I listened to this song and it gave me all these feelings. Or I watched this movie and it made me feel X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think to the extent that you're creating that, people will be compelled to tell people that they know, uh, if only so they can brag about how they were the ones that introduced it to them. You know, hey, listen to this. Andy Weir, the author of The Martian, wrote his novel chapter by chapter and then self-published it on his website. He told us in an email that getting encouraging emails from his readers after every chapter helped keep him motivated to continue working. The encouragement told him that what he was writing was quality. And that book went from free blog posts to an Amazon bestseller. Then in a span of a week, he received a book deal and a movie deal. As of today, The Martian, starring Matt Damon, has made almost half a billion dollars worldwide. So there's a place to start. Start by sharing what you've made and see if people are excited to share it with others. If they do, then you know you're on the right path. If they don't, maybe you need to make some adjustments or maybe it's not the right audience in the first place. Either way, it helps to just put it out there and see if people respond. So what are you waiting for? We want to send out a few thank yous here. Andy Weir, author of The Martian, who responded to Nick's email in less than an hour so we could make sure that we had our facts straight. Much appreciated, Andy. We know that uh, you're a pretty busy guy these days, so that was very cool. Thank you to John Gordon for taking the time to speak with me. We had a lengthy conversation, and more of his words will likely be in a future episode. In the meantime, check him out at John Gordon. That's J-O-N-G-O-R-D-O-N.com. And in addition to The Carpenter, check out his best-selling book, The Energy Bus, about getting your team on the bus and moving in the right direction with a shared vision, focus, and purpose. A huge thanks to Franklin Leonard of The Blacklist. And not only for taking time in his busy schedule to speak with us, but for being a champion for writers and quality in the world. The impact that his organization has made and continues to make is almost immeasurable. I'll pass it to Franklin himself to tell you how you can learn and experience more of what they do. 
Our website is blacklist.com, but blacklist with no vowels. So B-L-C-K-L-S-T.com. Uh, we have a podcast, uh, The Blacklist Table Reads. You can just search for that title uh, in any of your podcast listening apps. We also, if you're in the Los Angeles area, we do live scripted uh, reads that you can come and sit in attendance. Our most recent one, The Shower, starred Kristen Shaw, Jillian Jacobs, Chelsea Peretti, Ginger Gonzaga, Adam Pally, and Adam Brody. Those are the big things, but go to the website, sign up for our email list. Uh, a lot of really interesting stuff happening, a lot of very cool sort of behind the scenes film stuff that will eventually, you'll see it in, in movie form. The, the, the library we just did, uh, that script is now, uh, had been, it's been optioned by Anne Hathaway to star and produce the film. So come check us out. Okay, everybody, now it's that time for everyone's favorite new segment. This is WTS Digs. Basically, every week we tell you something that we're listening to, we're watching, we're reading, something that Brett and I love that is getting us inspired and excited. And so, Brett, why don't you get started? What are you digging this week? Well, first off, I, w- I hesitated because I thought, is this really everyone's favorite segment? And then I realized it's actually the only segment we yep. do. So. <laughs> I-, I knew what I was saying. So there it is. Everyone's favorite segment. Um, awesome. Well, listen, Nick. So this week I am digging an album uh, that actually came out two years ago. And there's two things that I, I can't believe about this record. First of okay. all how good I think it is and how much I love it. And second of all, the fact that no one told me about it or I didn't hear about it in the last two years. And it's an album by a, uh, a band called Rye, and it's called Woman. And I actually became aware of it through NPR's All Songs Considered. Uh, they were talking about the singer of Rye, who is a guy named Mike Maloche. And that kind of turned me on to checking out the record. And again, I've listened to that record like four times in a row in the last few days. I just think it's fantastic. I guess it's probably technically R&B, somewhat labeled electronic. It's very Sade-like. Uh, Mike sings uh, in falsetto, and there's kind of been this thing that people think it's it's androgynous. They don't know if he's a male or a female, but he's definitely a male. Um, <laughs> anyways, amazing, amazing record. And then I just found out that Mike Maloche is Canadian, so that makes it oh, even cooler. Well, there you go. So it's That's Mike Maloche and a Danish instrumentalist named Robin Hannibal, and they're based in L.A. But uh, anyways, love this record. It's called Rye. That's R-H-Y-E, and uh, the album's called Woman. So what about you, Nick? Uh, as people probably know by now, we have no idea what each other are going to say, so I'm on the edge of my seat. What are you uh, <laughs> digging this week? Well, it's not entirely true. I did tell you, like, last week, I said, I know I've done a lot of TV shows, but I felt really strongly I had to do another TV show. So here's my promise to everybody. Next week will not be a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying that right now. But I have to do this because it's a show that's on right now that, you know, its ratings are are not great, but I think it's such an interesting show. And it's a show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on CW. Brett, have you heard about this show? You know, I've, I've heard about it, but I really know nothing about it. Now, I understand that the title is, like, really off-putting. Like, I get it entirely. So I feel like it's worth noting that the titular character of the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is also the star of the series. She also co-writes it and co-creates it. So, like, there's something that she's definitely setting up, and I, I can't promise it's going to pay off in the long run. Uh, but I'm trusting her right now. Her name is Rachel Bloom. Uh, she does a great job. But it's basically a show about a young uh, attorney in New York City who sees a series of butter commercials asking her if she's truly happy. 
and then she runs into an ex-boyfriend from like middle school or high school camp and sort of has this sort of existential crisis and then all of a sudden decides to quit her job at the successful firm in New York and move to West Covina, California. And she's doing it from the viewer perspective because she's in love with his ex-boyfriend, but she herself is a little unaware of that because she's got some issues. And uh, the show, it, it really just sort of plays with all these ideas related to what is success, what is happiness, what is fulfillment. And it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's quirky, it's fun, it's fast-paced, and for better or for worse, it has music in it, and the music's a lot of fun. Like, they sing songs that kind of live with, within her head. So, if you like shows that are fast-paced and quirky and just things that are trying something new, you should watch Crazy Ass Girlfriend, and then you should find me on Twitter because I love the show, and just say, Nick, I love the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, that, so that is what I'm digging this week. Well, Crazy I, think, I think that's cool, and, and I think, you know, as we, we talked about quality in this week's show, and we, we, we had conversations during the week about, you know, quality things that didn't necessarily make it and there's certainly been comedies like Arrested Development comes to life or you know even shows like My So-Called Life where they were canceled probably before their time right so hopefully mm-hmm. this dig that you hopefully. put out there will will uh, will send a a slew of people to check it out I know I'll be downloading it tomorrow so there you go you got me on, you got me on the yes. list um, awesome Nick well uh, as Nick said if you're uh, digging something let us know if you're digging what we're digging let us know uh, we love hearing from you guys and, and we want to hear what you're digging too Thanks. Let's get right down to Brass Tacks, a.k.a. shoutouts. We're going to start with iTunes reviews. Mitch Four from Canada might be some sort of oracle as he wrote, The craftsmanship of this podcast is insane. James KTD from the UK shared, It's inspiring without being preachy, motivating without being pushy, and meaningful without being too wet. We're not totally sure what that means, but we're glad you're keeping dry over there. Stone Cold Fanatic is finally done binge listening and says, This couldn't have come at a better time in my life. I'm in line for a promotion at work that will put me into a supervisor role, and I can't wait to apply all the knowledge I get from this podcast. And Kalija in Macedonia asks us to keep them coming. Twitter love. First off, some OLs, original listeners who continue to fire it up on Twitter. At Morgan LeBlanc, Susan Van Toon, at Vanessa MP, Erica Robin, at me from SC, and Sandy Pell. And first time WTS tweeters, EMC, Rob Lindley, Scott S. Turner, at Kasaba Osvath, and Ryan Stevenson. Hey, you want to stalk us? Well, follow the show on Twitter, at ExploreWTS. Follow at Brett Gaida and at Podcast Monster. Like Where There's Smoke on Facebook. Get on our newsletter. By phone, you can text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website, wherethersmoke.co. And do you dig the WTS theme song in the background? Well, you can thank Des McKinney for the original version and Nick Jaworski for the remix. Hey, Nick, what other artists were featured in this week's show? Additional music in this episode performed by Jazar, The Insider, Lee Rosevere, and Kevin McLeod. Also, a special shout out to the multi-hyphenate Jenny Burla for being the voice of our film strip this week. The good work of Where There's Smoke is crafted, qualified, written, practiced, performed, executed, edited, produced, and delivered by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. You can hire Brett to come speak or train for your team or company. Email him at brett at wherethersmoke.co. And Nick's company, Podcast Monster, helps people make their podcast sound awesome. Contact him at nick at wherethersmoke.co. Now, some of you might still be hoping that there is just a simple instruction on how to make it, how to get there. Well, all right. Because you made it all the way to the end, we'll share it. 
but don't tell anyone, okay? Seriously though, Rick, how do we get there? Well, you basically point the bird in that direction, you wait 150 days, and 36 million miles later, we should be at Mars. Oh wait, no, that's Uranus. And with that, in the spirit of doing good work, I'm gonna outsource our sign-off today to the great Garrison Keeler and his final words from each episode of The Writer's Almanac. Kathy Roach, be well, do good work, and keep in touch.